Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hey, uh, welcome back. Thanks for joining me. If you're new here, welcome. If you like the podcast and you get some value, please head on over and give us a review, give us some stars, tell us what you think, uh, and share this so that other people can benefit from the incredible knowledge of our Adaptifiers. Today's Adaptifier is Jackie Silver. This episode's a little bit different. The focus isn't all about wheelchair using and that journey of coming through an accident. It's more about Jackie's skill as a nutritionist and the conversation around nutrition and benefit for wheelchair users and for those with disabilities. Uh, I'm really excited to have Jackie on the show. Uh, she's deeply knowledgeable. She has extensive training and experience. Uh, so let's dive in. Thanks for joining me on the show, Jackie. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So yeah, tell us a little bit about where you're based at the moment and a little bit about your um, your life uh, your life so far. Okay. Um, so I live in Toronto, Canada. Um, I am a registered dietitian. I just graduated in June 2020 with my master's, de master's degree, a Master of Health Science in Nutrition Communication from Ryerson University, which is in downtown Toronto. And so in my master's, we did a lot of coursework on learning how to communicate new evidence-based nutrition messages in plain language for the public, whether that be through public speaking, writing, social media, podcasting, any type of communication medium. And then I also did an eight-month rigorous dietetic internship training program in, in that master's degree where I did, I did internships at a community health center working with people with diabetes and general health concerns in an outpatient setting. I did inpatient at a hospital in the mental health wing, surgery, general medicine. And then I also did um, a placement with Special Olympics Ontario, working with Special Olympics athletes with intellectual disabilities, which was really awesome. And I've, yeah. Oh, so are you going to say something? I was, but I stopped myself. No, that's, that's amazing. Well, it sounds like uh, you've done a lot of work and had a, a broad uh, base of nutritional training. Um mm -hmm. Which is which is fantastic, and I can't wait to dive into some more about that specifically mm -hmm. around nutrition for the, those people with disabilities. That you know, uh, particularly um, wheelchair users like ourselves. Um, tell me, growing up, were you always interested in nutrition? What's the what's the link there? Um, yeah, I was always very health conscious. I we can get into this later, but I was born with a rare condition in my left leg that affects my mobility and my muscle strength. So I've always been interested in exercising and how that has helped me maintain my strength, function and mobility. And then, but in university, I didn't know what I wanted to study. I didn't know what career I wanted to go into. I knew I wanted something in healthcare. 
So I just did a kinesiology degree. That was my first degree. And then I did some more research and I thought that nutrition would be a great fit for me. It fits with all my uh, my interests, my passions. It's very creative. You, there's a lot you can do with it. And it was, yeah, at that point that I decided uh, on my career trajectory. Yeah. And I've just launched my virtual private practice uh, last week. Yay. Exciting. Well, we can link and mm-hmm. talk some more about that uh, as we as we move on. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us about your mobility and, and what that sort of meant for you growing up. Yes. So, uh, like I said before, I was born with a rare condition in my left leg that is a vascular malformation syndrome, which means that the the circulation doesn't flow properly and the veins don't work properly. And as a result, the bones are quite weak and I have um, issues with my joints, my hip and knee. And the muscles are weak in that one leg, not in the rest of my body. And when I was young, I was able to walk unaided. I did walk with a slight limp. Uh, But then when I was 16 years old, I had a spontaneous fracture in my left tibia and fibula, which took six months to heal, which was really, really long. And I did a lot of physical therapy after to regain my strength and mobility, but I never gained it fully back. Uh, to the same extent that I had before. And so ever since that point, I've been using a wheelchair to get around for long distances and then either a walker or forearm crutches to walk short distances. So tell us a little bit about that transition. What was the first few uh, weeks, months using a wheelchair like? What was, how did you feel about that? Um... Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I mean, using the, first of all, breaking my leg was like a really life-changing, life-altering experience for me. It was really devastating and so hard to go through emotionally. And I think after, I mean, the truth is like I had used wheelchairs before, you know, if I would go to a mall and there was a lot of walking, I would rent a wheelchair. So it wasn't, it it wasn't foreign to me. So I think that part wasn't, I would say that was not the hardest part, but, and also I just found it really liberating because I could go out and push myself and be independent and go farther play, you know, go for longer distances. Whereas before I, I, because of my circulation, I couldn't walk for more than a couple minutes. So this actually was very liberating for me. Mm. Oh, that's, I've heard this said number of times, and I think this too, without, without my wheelchair, um, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be screwed, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it does give you the ability to, uh, to move. I mean, it, it's, there's a certain psychological um, aspect to that. You know, as you say, you, you're able to walk and, and even with crutches, and then... Using a wheelchair, you're a lot lower to the to the ground. You're not as tall as you are. It depends on how tall you are, <laughs> anyway. But but I, I'm six foot one, so um, going from six foot one to four foot ten was a was a difficult transition. Um, did you have any psychological uh, sort of barriers to overcome with with being uh, a wheelchair user more often than than not? 
That's a good question. Um, it's, it's been a long time now, to be honest, it's been about 13 years, but I would say, I think the hardest thing was when I would run into people who knew me before mm. and then they would see, you know, my wheelchair. And I, I guess I was pretty self-conscious of it only if I would run into people, you know, who knew me before when I was walking around, you know, in high school. Um, I don't know what they were thinking, you know, maybe. Yeah. Um, so that that was definitely difficult. And yeah, but it was not as difficult with people who I'd met after that because they didn't mm. really know me before. Mm. So what do you think the difference was? Do you think it was just people had a preconceived idea of, you know, you know, so, so how did the people you knew before treat you differently than, you know, after you were in your wheelchair? I don't think they treated me differently. I'm more thinking of people who I wasn't actually friends with, but who I would just run into on the street. Mm. So they didn't have a big part in, in play a big part in my life anyways. Um, and most of my good friends I have made since then, to be honest. Um, yeah. High school. I was very, very shy in high school, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think I was treated differently. And my parents definitely never treated me differently. Uh, that's good to know. That's really mm -hmm. good. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, a wheelchair is a filter, you know, it filters out the people that can see past that and those that can't. And, um, mm. and I guess in some ways it's, uh, it's a representation of a disability that often people don't really understand. And it's not, not always a, an intellectual disability. There's, there's some real confusion there. You, you hear people uh, speaking a lot slower to you if you're, if you're in your wheelchair, you're kind of like, what the heck? Why is that? You know, I'm in a wheelchair. He's a wheelchair for mobility. I, I, um, you know, so there's this kind of, there is a sort of underlying perception there, um, mm -hmm. which, uh, which we're, we're all doing um, to, you know, through, through this uh, social medium that we have, we're, um, we're changing, which is cool. Hey, so yeah. Um, yeah, let's get, let's get into some nutrition stuff. What, um, what specifically, um, you know, specifically for, people with disabilities and, and particularly people with, uh, who use wheelchairs, what are some nutrition, um, key nutrition um, do's and don'ts? Okay. I think before we get into that, I'd like to just touch on maybe some of the challenges, mm. the nutritional challenges with uh, wheelchair users. And I would say um, one thing, for example, if someone has limited um, hand um, grip strength, then it might be harder for them to cook and prepare their meals. Mm. Um, and in general, I mean, it is, I mean, it is different to uh, cook from a seated position. So you have to keep that in mind. So what I suggest usually is very simple, um, simple, easy meals and fine. And, you know, some people, if they have pain, you know, when you're in pain, there's no way in hell you're going to cook you're not in the mood or if you're, you know, very fatigued, you also are not going to cook. So it's about finding healthier options from frozen meals, from takeout places, um, stuff that you can help save your energy and mobility and uh, fatigue, but still figure out ways to eat healthfully. And another thing is that, um, 
you know, when you're seated in a wheelchair, it, it, the fact of the matter is you're not, you're not burning as much energy as somebody who's walking around all day. So it is a lot harder to maintain your weight. And so I actually did a 12 week mindful eating training program in the spring where I was trained in how to teach people uh, specific mindful eating tools that can help them um, better tune in with their internal hunger and fullness cues. And I, my approach personally is not a dieting weight loss approach. That is not uh, me at all. I'm more of a health at every size um, approach, which means that I focus more on sustainable behavior changes that will improve health that are independent of the number on the scale and how much you weigh. So the mindful eating I've discovered is super, super key for wheelchair users to help them uh, listen to, better listen to their bodies and discover what uh, fuel and nourishment their bodies need without worrying about, you know, how much they weigh. Um, and another thing that I see is uh, body, body image and body acceptance as a wheelchair user because our bodies are not they're not represented in media, in, you know, in Instagram with all the health influencers. And it, and there's a lot of talk now on social media about body positivity, but nobody's ever talking about it in the disability space. I mean, there is a little bit, but they need to, they need to include wheelchair users in that discussion because, um, you know, we can have body image issues too. So that, and that plays a role with nutrition. So that's a big thing as well. And then another is, you know, depending on your medical uh, condition, if somebody has a spinal cord injury, they are at higher risk for pressure injuries. And nutrition plays a really big role in that. So if, you know, that's another thing. Also neurogenic bowel, the nutrition plays a role in that. Um, wheelchair users are at higher risk for chronic diseases you know, uh, diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, those all can be managed um, with nutrition or prevented or delaying, you know, delaying the onset. And another thing is uh, people with disabilities, you know, statistically don't have as much money, might have financial um, considerations. So then it means, you know, then it would be about finding what is the most affordable way to eat healthy. Mm. Um, that was there, a lot. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to remember all those points there. there there's, um, there's a lot to unpack. I mean, I suppose we'll just go back to the beginning. You say mm -hmm. that, um, you know, saving your energy by looking at um, uh, options that don't involve you cooking. So, Frozen, yeah. frozen meals, takeout, healthy options. Um, yeah, or, or meal prepping things in advance, mm. like a big casserole or a bit, you know, a baked oatmeal, something that you can keep in the freezer and then just take out and have mm. when you're ready. And then you don't have to cook. So tell us about how you might identify um, takeout that's healthy or frozen meals that are healthy. And like, what is healthy? I mean, how do you classify yeah. that uh, to begin with? There's, I mean, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there is so much information and a lot of conflicting information out there. 
How yeah. do you know what's good to eat, you know, gluten-free, vegan, you know, I mean, it's just you name it, a ketogenic diet, um, you know, intermittent fasting. Yeah. There is just a bombardment of information out there. So mm-hmm. why, um, yeah, how do you, how do, where do you even begin with that? Yeah, that's, uh, that is a very complicated question. Um, first, I will say that there is a lot of um, bullshit out there of nutrition information. Just, it's unbelievable what I see every single day. And so, first of all, if you want to get evidence-based, scientific nutrition information, get it from reliable sources. That means a registered dietitian, uh, some medical doctors, although they don't receive a lot of nutrition training. Um, it does not mean getting nutrition advice from an influencer on social media who has zero credentials. It does not mean getting from personal trainers or from random websites where you have no idea who wrote it. So that, that is one way to help you sift through the information, you know, if you see like today, I saw an ad on a blog for a, uh, it said lose 13 kilos in four weeks. And, uh, and, and you could, you just had no idea who wrote it. That stuff. No, no, that is not uh, going to be good evidence. So that is one thing. That's a good way to know how to filter. What is, you know, if you see anything that is a quick fix, run from it. It is, there's no such thing as a quick fix in nutrition. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing, um, you were asking what is healthy? How do you know what mm. goes in? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So whole foods, I mean, I mean, it is best to stick to whole foods for, you know, so, so what is a whole food for, for okay. people with like next to no yeah. nutritional um, yeah. basis so what is a whole fruit, food something that is not uh something that is in its whole form so chicken fish meat tofu fruit vegetables pasta whole grain bread rice and i would say with uh with the frozen um frozen vegetables are a really good option just as good as fresh. In fact, maybe even better because they're frozen at peakness, at their peak freshness, and they have uh, retain a lot of nutrients. So frozen fruit is amazing. Smoothies, I recommend all the time because you can get a full meal in one bowl, one, mu- one cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so frozen vegetables are great. Even frozen rice, if it's just rice, that's great too. There are... Um, uh, yeah, you want to look for things that are lower in sodium. That's a big thing. But yeah, I mean, I can't speak specifically to different frozen meals right now. But what about sugar and sugar content? What about preservatives? What about, um, you know, colors and, and, um, emulsifiers and all the all that other stuff that goes into a lot of um preserved food or or um, processed food what's your what's your take on that yeah that's a good question so with the sugar um 
I do believe in everything in moderation. So, you know, I would never tell someone not to eat any type of food. Um, the mindful eating plays a really big role with learning how to enjoy, enjoy your sweets, enjoy your desserts in smaller amounts. In terms of the emulsifiers that you were saying and preservatives, I would rather people more focus on what they can eat than what not to eat. So I'd rather that they focus on getting in more fruits and vegetables, getting in more protein from, you know, tofu, yogurt, meat, chicken, fish, whatever, beans, lentils. Um, I would, you know, that that's what I would rather see people focusing on than getting um, wrapped up in the nitty gritty of those ingredients. Because ultimately when you eat more vegetables and fruit and all, you know, those whole foods we were talking about, the whole wheat pasta, you will end up having, eating less of the others naturally. Mm. It's an interesting way of, way of framing it. Um, I like, I like bacon. So I, I eat a fair bit of bacon. Um, but I, I've actually found bacon that's preservative-free and nitrate-free, mm. nitrite-free, and it's it's actually a key consideration to me. So while I, while I kind of get what you're saying is look at the positive what I can eat rather than what I can't, I, I believe it's important to, to have an understanding of what some of these preservatives can do to you mm -hmm. and, your, and the risks associated with them because without that knowledge, um, and, and as soon as I had some of that knowledge, um, it really, um, it really did make me look very carefully at what I was buying. Um, mm. You know, sugar content in bread, sugar content in sauces, and and and, um, and, and so, yeah. Like I said, like I, I agree that if you can focus on what you can eat more than what you can't, um, that's cool. But I think mm. if you're blind to the fact that what you might be eating is is actually has some bad um, chemicals in it, then then I think you need to understand that. Um, that's 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 my untrained point of view, but I um, <laughs> but I but I certainly am very mindful of um, foods with preservatives and nitrites that I've read are mm. harmful to harmful to you. Um, it's mm -hmm. a it's a deep subject. I mean, it's it's yeah. You, I mean, you've you've spent years training, so you you know a lot, and um, and I suppose it's a matter, like you say, of giving people enough knowledge that. Um, they can implement it and not be overwhelmed by it. Um, yeah. Also, like, I have to be mindful that, you know, not everyone can afford nitrate-free meat or, mm -hmm. you know, so I, that is something that I take into consideration a lot. And also, I can't give, like, individualized, I'm just individualized nutrition advice on a podcast. Like, I'm just speaking more blanketly and mm -hmm. broadly. Yeah, yeah I, get, so. I get it. I get it for sure. Um, yeah, so what about, uh, you know, thinking about personalised, you know, everybody's bodies are different and everybody's nutritional needs are different. How do you ascertain, you know, for example, whether or not you should be on a gluten-free diet? How do you ascertain um, what, um, you know, what fruits and vegetables are good for you or not? What, how, do you, how do you know if you should be eating um, more protein or more carbohydrates or, um, you know, any, you know what, um, 
nutrients are you deficient in? How do you, you know, like how can someone actually tell what they should be eating? Um, and yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. <laughs> how do you, how do you know? Yeah. And, and I suppose you can experiment, you can test, you can try things out if you're mindful, like you say, about how you feel after eating certain things. Uh, I certainly am very mindful of of my sugar intake, and I, I know I know the effects of eating sugar and the the um, on my blood sugar levels and and what how I feel, you know, afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. That's come from years of um, intense physical exertion and and um, you know high. I guess high performance sport, but mm-hmm. um, how how does the average person know what they should or shouldn't be, you know, what they should or shouldn't be eating? I mean, okay, fruit and vegetables, yes, that's great, but surely some people, some people are actually, you know, not suited to eating the, um, you know, like the tomato family of fruits, for example. You know, how how does someone know? How do they how do they actually discover what is good for their body or not? Yeah. So are there tests you can take? I mean as a as a dietitian how how do I know? It's from you know when you first meet with a client you have to assess them and you have to see what their medical history is, um what their lab values are. Um, see what their overall dietary pattern is, what their exercise habits are, their sleep habits, their stress, Mm. um, whether they play sports. And then that helps determine what they need, you know, what their allergies are. If someone has a a celiac test and they are celiac, then yeah, you know, they shouldn't be having gluten. If someone has a pressure injury, they need a lot more protein and a lot more calories than someone without a pressure injury. So, you know, if they have diabetes, then they need to have more whole grain sources of fiber and spread that out throughout the day. Um, these are yeah. just some examples, but it, it, is, it is so individualized. Mm. Yeah, gotcha. So you basically have this information gathering um, session and... Uh, but it's it's kind of sounds very holistic and that you're looking at a person's, you know, sleep, exercise, stress levels, you know, other factors that are going on and and that all that all accounts for the it's not, not specifically nutrition, but it accounts for a person's overall well being, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like I'll have friends ask me all the time, oh, what should I do about this? What should I do about that? What should I do for my kid? And it, it is very hard for me to just give that advice without assessing them and knowing the full picture. Mm. Hey, well, generically speaking here, um, you know, urinary tract infections are a big problem for people with spinal cord injuries, particularly. Mm -hmm. um, What sort of general advice do you have around uh, prevention and, and or treatment of, of that using nutrition? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't have all the answers to that right now, to be honest. I would have to do some more research. But I mean, for treatment, I would say it would it would have to complement the medical treatment, like the antibiotics. You know, I, I wouldn't say that any food will cure a, a UTI. Um, there are foods for prevention. Uh, one that's coming to mind is uh, cranberry. Uh, 
cranberry juice, but I don't, yeah, that's something I would have to do the research to give a proper answer. Yeah, no worries. I read something the other day around parsley tea as, um, uh, as a prevention, but also to help uh, clear UTIs. So uh, mm. anyone listening there, if you want to throw anything in a comment or, uh, or uh, jump on social, let me know what your experience has been with that. Where um, did you read that? Um, actually, somebody I spoke to um, with a spinal cord injury said it worked for them. Um, and then there's, yeah, there's, there's things online, probably some of these websites that you alluded to earlier, <laughs> like who, yeah. who wrote this, who actually knows, but, um, have yeah. a look online. you'll find this, you'll find there's lots. Um, uh, yeah, I, I would be very, I'm going to be honest. I'd be very careful about what you read online and what the source is. Yeah, of uh, course. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, what, what's the harm of drinking some parsley tea? Probably, probably not a great deal. Um, you know, yeah, unless they skip their antibiotics and then the infection grows and turns into sepsis, we, that would be very mm. bad. You know, we don't want that. Yeah, totally. You yeah, know, absolutely. I mean, acute medical care has its um, has its place for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I for one, um, if I if I don't hydrate enough, then I I'm I feel as though, and from experience, I've been more at risk uh, of UTIs. So mm. um, yeah, hydration is quite a quite an important thing for me yeah Um, but yeah so okay so I think I suppose we kind of unpack that first thing about (laughs) about um what takeout (laughs) food is good what frozen food is good um I'm hearing whole foods is is um you know is one of those key things um you know can you elaborate on um some of the other points you made initially there what what was one of the second points there that um that you touched on one of the considerations I suppose for for people nutrition um, you, you said, um, yeah, you know, diet and weight and, and I guess, um, uh, and, and that ties into representation, uh, in the, in the media and, and body positivity. What is mm-hmm. your, what is your thought on, on, on weight and health and nutrition and how do they interrelate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty broad question. Um, okay. I would say that the media, it tends to be very focused on diet culture and fat phobia Mm. and, um, you know, idealizing being thin and it's, um, also a lot in the it seeped its way into the medical system as well with a lot of physicians blaming people's medical issues on their weight and really having um, weight bias against their patients who are overweight or obese and but there is a lot of evidence out there that the media doesn't show you that you, for example, if someone is obese and they spend one year completely revamping their diet and exercising, they can, and they have high, you know, all the markers for chronic disease, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, 
there's been studies that if they spend that whole time changing their diet, they can they may be able to come off some of their medications, normalize their lipids, normalize their blood pressure without losing any weight. And there is a lot of a lot of evidence on this now that you can still be healthy and overweight. And so but it is more complicated when you are a wheelchair user because it, it is it can be a bit harder to transfer. So it is, but I, nonetheless, I still believe in that. Um, I still believe in making positive health behavior change, regardless of whether you lose weight or not, because I think that you will hundred percent benefit your health from that. And the reason why I don't focus as much on weight is because it people are very um, you know it's a very sensitive topic and people um, people you know it can breed uh, disordered eating patterns and um, there's a lot of emotional there can be a lot of emotional underlying emotional trauma from that, you know, from be people being told by their doctors or family, you need to lose weight, you need to lose weight, you're fat, you're ugly. And so I, you know, this new, the new wave of dietitians, I like to say, we, we don't like to focus on that. We, does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I, uh, and it, it was interesting that you, you mentioned those markers can drop and it's not it's not entirely um weighted excuse the pun it's not entirely pegged against weight so they're not mm -hmm. they're not entirely linked uh mm -hmm. I, f I find that really interesting um mm -hmm. i also know that um there's a global epidemic of obesity <laughs> you know mm -hmm. um and and that the cause of that is predominantly uh predominantly sugar-based intake, like high, high intake of, um, you know, sodas and, 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 and sugars that, you know, the body, the body stores, it doesn't use. Um, well, can I just say something on that point? Mm. Um, there, there is, there is not one cause of the obesity epidemic. There's a, mm. a lot of causes. It's very complex. You know, people who, um, come from low socioeconomic backgrounds, mm. they cannot afford healthy food. They are working, you know, some of them might be working three jobs and working 80 hours a week to support their children. They can't, they don't have time to exercise. They, of course, they resort to cheap fast food. You know, they are, they're, they're um, at a disadvantage. So that's just one example, but there's, some people are just genetically, genetic it's just genetics you know mm. it's very complicated it's really complicated it's not as simple as you know sugar and fast food okay um i don't know <laughs> i i'm i'm not convinced that that isn't that isn't the case yeah i mean sure some people are, are genetically i mean we're all genetically different uh 100 um but i also think that we I think we eat too much as a, mm -hmm. as a, as a global population. I think we've got access to food 
if you know whenever we want it. Um, and just because, uh, yeah, and, and it's 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 really tough. I, I mean, I, I go to the supermarket and and I'm and it's expensive to buy it. It is in New Zealand anyway. It's expensive to buy healthy food. You know? Yeah, very expensive. Um, whereas you can go down the, the aisle and, and fill up on um, sodas and chips and orange juice and just all sorts of um, uh, high-calorie cheap food. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, if that's all you can afford, then, yeah. What, what do you do? It's a tough decision, isn't it? It's a tough position to be in um i've i'm learning more and more now and particularly as i you know as i started to put on weight and like you said earlier a word to use a tabili doesn't burn as much energy as someone that's walking around all the day um mm-hmm. i was still eating my habits were still i was still eating the same quantity of food as i as i was before my accident and um and the, I guess the mindset shift I made was actually I don't need to, I don't need to eat that size of portion of food. Um, and more recently, for the actually the last three months, I've been intermittent fasting. Um, so I've been um, doing an eighteen, so sixteen eight diet routine. Yeah. So I skip a, I skip breakfast, and I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. Um, Mm-hmm. I'm loving it. I'm, I'm noticing. Um, I'm definitely trimming up, but also my energy levels are are, are really good. Um, mm-hmm. What? Yeah, I, I, I actually I actually really love it. I think psychologically it was a it was a nice experiment for me because I always thought that I needed to eat, um, you know, five meals a day. You know, um, breakfast, morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea, you know, dinner. But in mm-hmm. actual fact my body can function perfectly well um, and perhaps even better with, with less. Um, and so rather than thinking quantity, I'm focused on quality of food. Um, you know, high, high vegetable, high vegetable diet, um, you know, lean proteins, um, fats, another thing that's been a really interesting, um, <laughs> interesting thing that, that I've learned, um, you know, growing up, you know, low fat uh, usually means high in sugar and actual fat is actually not a bad thing for you. You, you kind of need, you need fats in your diet. Um, so there's, I, I suppose you, you must understand that um, industry and, and um, you know, the food industry has a, has a huge role to play in, in what nutrition advice is out there and what the public understands as good nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um so you know, I, uh, you know, and I get back onto the sugar bandwagon. Sugar is a is, is essentially a flavour enhancer. It packs out. It's cheap, so it, it's kind of it fills out a. Um, you know, you add you add salt and sugar together, and they balance each other. So you, you talked about sodium as being something to to watch. What mm-hmm. what is um what is the what is the problem with sodium? You know, as in salt. What 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 effect does that have on the body? Mm-hmm. So. Um, I mean, the biggest thing is a high, a diet that's high in foods with salt can lead to high blood pressure, hypertension. And there are a lot of long-term health consequences of having high blood pressure that is not managed. Mm. So why does it cause high blood pressure? 
Okay, that's a good question. Well, salt retains water, uh, retains more fluid in the body. And yeah, to be honest, I don't know the exact mechanism of how it causes high blood pressure. Mm. But when the when there's more pressure eating against your, you know, if you think of your blood vessels as hoses and there's more pressure going, they damage them and they damage the organs around it. So that it can damage your kidneys. Um, I think about 50% of people with kidney failure, it's as a result of high blood pressure. Um, can It can burst the vessels leading to stroke in the brain. Um, yeah, but, but it can be managed with medication and diet or one or the other. Mm. Yeah, depending on the person. Yeah, sure, sure thing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, exercise is a, is a key key uh, component of uh, you know for people's health. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that that is, uh, in terms of you know, in terms of where that sits with, uh, and I know you don't like talking about weight loss, but it is a, it is a big thing for wheelchair users to to manage their weight. Yeah. Um, how important is exercise versus how much and what type of food a person eats? You need both, to be honest. Um, you know, you, there's the saying you can't outrun a poor diet. So, the, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if you just focus on your eating, yes, that will be amazing. But then you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to be able to strengthen your muscles from weight draining or improve your cardiovascular endurance. So they, they complement each other fully. And likewise, if you, you know, you exercise a lot, but you have, you know, um, you're, you're not so cautious of your nutrition, then it can affect your exercise performance and you could still get, you know, have some negative health consequences. Mm. I'm just throwing questions out here as they come to mind. Um, so forgive me if they're not sort of linked in with uh, with the, the, the you know, conversation as it's going. But I'm thinking about um, supplements and, and that industry particularly and mm-hmm. um, your take on um, whether or not uh, we as, you know, wheelchair users or um, person with disability, whether or not they should be taking supplements. So that, uh, do you have any recommendations there? Or thoughts yeah. on uh, yeah, supplements I, rather than recommendation. Do you have any thoughts on supplements? Like where do they where do they fit within all of this in this nutrition mm-hmm. conversation? Yeah. So yeah, I mean I'm I'm not telling anyone to take any supplements right now. Like you said, it's just my thoughts, but vitamin D, because wheelchair users do have higher rates of osteoporosis. So that vitamin D is super important. Um, you know, sometimes a probiotic, those are, you know, these are some supplements that I am a fan of, um, sometime, but, you know, but probiotics are not good if people are immunocompromised or if they're on, um, immunosuppressing drugs. So it, it depends. And then, um, omega-3, uh, omega-3 oils can be good. Um, you know, if someone has high triglycerides, omega-3s can potentially help with that. If they have rheumatoid arthritis, 
they can help with that. Um, if someone is iron deficient, they need an iron supplement. You know, it, if someone um, is vegan, then there are some supplements that they need, such as B12, if, they're, if their blood levels come back low. Um, yeah, you know, for, for people with pressure wounds, sometimes zinc. Um, yeah, those are some of the more common ones. For muscle cramping, sometimes magnesium. Yeah, there's, a lot, there's a, there, I guess, like, like you say, it just all depends on a person's situation, doesn't it? And yeah, it totally depends on the person. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I suppose that's, um, yeah, that, that's what makes uh, misinformation such a, such a problem, isn't it? Yeah, there's so much misinformation. Yeah, I could rant about this for hours. There's so much misinformation out there, you know, like the, uh, a year ago or so the celery, celery juice was a huge fad. And this person came out saying that celery juice helps with certain infections. It helps with, um, it has undiscovered bile salts that can help with something. It can help with the kidneys like this. And the person that made these comments, he considers himself to be a medium and he he says that he um, he predicted his grandmother's cancer and then she ended up getting lung cancer. Like he, he has zero training in evidence, you know? So, the, and there's so much misinformation out there, especially what I see a lot is with uh, the social media influencers who really don't have any training and they're giving out nutrition advice left, right, and center that is not based in science and that with, with my training and with registered dietitians, we base everything in science, in research, in evidence. So it's trustworthy. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, is, I suppose there's, there's a certain element of um, self-awareness that comes with all of this, right? Um, understanding how and just being mindful of how food makes you feel. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's definitely where, that's definitely where I sit. I, I certainly notice and I, I have the ability to notice how a, a meal will make me feel afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I suppose um, I haven't looked at any science for that it's just a um you know i have a, a fresh salad and or you know uh weather and um environmental conditions play a factor you know so if it's a it's a hot day it was a really hot day here yesterday i didn't mm-hmm. feel like having eggs on toast i felt like having a salad so my body mm-hmm. was telling me what i needed saying you need some fresh greens um and so so i did and, and that was absolutely what I what I need and I got I got my energy that way so I think there's a certain element mm-hmm. of listening to what your body needs like if you're craving a salty food probably because you need some sort of salt you know in your body you may, maybe you're lacking in in that or maybe you're you know maybe you're thirsty you're maybe dehydrated. you're thirsty you know exactly so mm-hmm. so you know you've you your body generally has this um has these mechanisms and built to to guide you 
Exactly. That's called intuitive eating or mindful eating. And there's this whole trend now in nutrition moving towards that. And, um, you know, if you think of babies, babies are the most intuitive eaters ever. If they're not hungry, they'll push the food away. They'll close their mouths. Mm. But then as you, as you grow older and there's so much, you know, food advertisements and social media and fast food everywhere, and it's cheap and it's easy. It messes with your internal um, mm. internal system, internal hunger, fullness cues. Yeah. So, same, same with like looking at the clock and going, Oh, it's 12 o'clock. Oh, I need to have lunch. Whereas, mm-hmm. well, in actual fact, if you, you may not, you might, you're not hungry, you know, just, Maybe eat a, eat a bit later, wait, wait until you are. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, so there's social elements to that. You know, you're going to take lunch with somebody and um, when maybe, maybe you're actually not that hungry. You should listen to your body there, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a skill and it takes training, but it is possible to reawaken that. Yeah, so, so how, would, how would somebody start to tune in and to what? what they need nutritionally, um, you know, on their own account, how, how would somebody begin that journey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's an excellent question. I would say to start, um, is honestly just to, before you, before you are about to eat a meal, just take a 10 second pause a mindful, it's called like a mindful eating check-in and just think about just a pause just to be, you know, grateful for the food in front of you, thinking about enjoying this meal and getting pleasure from it and asking yourself if how hungry you feel, if you're full. And then in the middle of the meal too, you can check in with yourself too and see if you're full or if you need more and you might notice that taking that 10 second pause, you might actually be full and not need to eat anymore. And then you can, you know, um, compost the food or save it for later, save it for later when you get hungry or for the next day. And, um, yeah, that, that is the best way to start to be honest. Yeah. yeah. I really like that. It's it's a good take 10, take a 10 second pause just to consider how you're feeling with relation to your, to this meal you're about to eat. um, Yeah. Or prepare. Yeah. And no one has to know. And also just putting your fork down in between bites. That's Mm. a big thing that helps you slow down, helps you really enjoy your food, savor it. And because people are just used to just shoveling the food in, you know, they don't even put their fork down in between. So I like to take a bite, chew it, keep my fork down, pick my fork back up when I have the next bite. And that helps slow down your eating, helps it be more mindful. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are are there certain combinations of food that are, that are not good together? You know, it's chemistry, right? So what, what are, um, yeah. Is is there any combinations of food that are just, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be eating together Um, or is, is food food? Does it not really matter? None that are coming to mind. I know what you're talking about, though. There's a lot of food combining diets out there. and Yeah, um, but yeah, none that's coming to mind. Okay. Well, that's I w- good I w- yeah, I wouldn't want people worrying about that. 
yeah, no, that's fine. You know, it was just something I, I wondered, uh, mm-hmm. I wondered about. Um, yeah, I've, I've got a garden growing at the moment and I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying taking care of it and, um, and savouring the, the uh, uh, I guess, just the pleasure of eating. What, looking at something I've grown and then, and then eating it too, it's quite, it's quite nice. Not everyone has that luxury if you live in a big city. Um, but, you know, what would you say about, you know, what would you say about growing your own food? Um, is, there, is, that, is that a recommended thing? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's also a lot more affordable if you're growing your own food. So it is a good way to save money. Um, the, people can have indoor gardens. You can grow indoors if you live in a city, um, even in the winter. And yeah, I'm all for it. It's a great hobby. It helps, it helps foster community and nurturing. And it helps you really see um, deep, deep in your gratitude for food and where it comes from. Because you're, you know, like you're saying, you're tending to it on your own. You're caring for it, nurturing it. And you see all the work and love that goes into growing something from the ground up. And you appreciate yeah. where it comes from. Yeah, you do. You sure do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool to see nature at work doing its thing. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. rather, rather than going to the supermarket and buying, a, you know, say a lettuce and a piece of plastic, that drives me crazy. Um, you can just pick a leaf off at a time and let the remainder of it grow and then it's fresh every time, you know. So it's, mm-hmm. it's got to be good too. Um, yeah. Um, so, Jackie, if, if people wanted to connect with you and and uh, I see you offer 15-minute consultations, no obligation free, just a, a quick connect, um, mm-hmm. where, can they, where can they do that? Where can they find you? Yeah. So if you go to uh, my website, JackieSilverNutrition.com, there's a link there to book a, a free 15-minute discovery call to see if um, – you know, what your needs are and if it would be a good fit. I am limited to where people live in terms of where I'm allowed legally to take on clients. So, um, you know, that's also why I do the discovery call. Um, so which, uh, which, uh, which countries or, or areas are you allowed to mm-hmm. um, do that? I can, so right now I can take clients who live in Canada, except for some provinces, except for Prince Edward Island, Alberta, and British Columbia. There's just a lot of legalities with my profession of, of you know, you have to be licensed in a specific province. So, yeah, but I can help people find uh, dietitians that are in their jurisdiction. Mm. Uh, so in, in any case, yeah, my website. What about follow- outside of Canada? Is Are you able to provide assistance to to people outside of Canada or you get in trouble if you do that I can't I am I am registered in the United States funnily enough I I wrote their board exam uh three months ago but because of my it's complicated the liability insurance and the rules from state to state right now I'm only taking in Canada yeah right wow that's Mm -hmm. uh it's really strict and um yeah, I suppose if you're giving advice there is you, you open yourself up to potential liability, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and we, we all have to have liability insurance and that only covers um certain jurisdictions. Mm. 
So. Maybe this adds to the reason why, you know, there's so much other information out there that, that people and people that aren't covered by liability. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know. tons of health coaches who will take on people from all over the world. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is a problem in, in the profession. And uh, yeah, I hope that it will get better. Yeah, in the future, maybe, you know, I would I could offer um, virtual webinars that then people from all over the world can join. That's totally fine. Or if I offer an online course, that's fine. But personalized nutrition care that's tailored to someone's medical condition, I, the, the rules are very strict. Yeah, gotcha. I see the, I see the difference there. That makes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Okay. I can, I can see where, um, where the, where the boundaries lie there. So, yeah. I mean, I think it would be good to, and I'm sure you will once time allows, um, provide, uh, some of those online resources, um, mm-hmm. provided it's not a, you know, it's not a life or death situation or, or, you know, kind of almost like an acute medical situation where you have to provide nutrition advice for, for uh, someone in that situation, I think it would be, be valuable for the, the rest of us out here to, um, yes. to learn. Yes, I agree, because there's not many people doing uh, what I'm doing. So, mm. yeah, the, that's my goal, is, you know, long-term goal to make it more accessible to people with disabilities all over the world, maybe even go into consulting for food companies on how to make their products more accessible and making them more nutritionally appropriate for people with disabilities um so before we leave just on that point what 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 is the what would be the key um okay so you you mentioned uh more protein for uh, pressure injury um but are there some other other key things that people can with with a disability and i know we're getting into this personalized terrain again but what are some generalized nutrition tips that you might have for somebody that has a spinal cord injury, for example? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say drink a lot of water, uh, reduce, try to reduce the pop, um, protein sources at every meal and snack. Uh, Why, why, Why protein? Yeah, because the protein, first of all, it helps to maintain bone integrity. Your bones need protein to help uh, grow. It also helps maintain muscle muscle uh, mass, and that's very important if you have a spinal cord injury. To You want to maintain as much muscle as you can and to help uh, prevent uh, pressure wounds. Okay. So, yeah, and so aside from protein, drinking water, what, what other – are there any others? Yeah, I mean, I would say have a fruit, fruits or vegetables at every meal, uh, whole grain sources of, of carbohydrates, and healthy fats, you know, nuts and seeds, um, avocados. Those are all excellent sources of uh, fat. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can hear some people listening going, oh, I hate avocados. I, I you know, oh. <laughs> nuts are expensive, etc. Um, surely there are some great recipes to um, to use with with all of those all of those things. What, what, what would you recommend people go to find good recipes for for some of those 
um, food sources. Mm -hmm. Do you have mm -hmm. a, a, is there a list of, you know, good recipes on your, on your site? Do you, do you publish, um, do you publish information about where people can get that? Cause you know, it's all one thing saying, oh, you need to eat fruit and veggies for one meal, but it's, you know, yeah. how do you cook them? What do you, what do you put them with? How do you create a meal out of those, those things? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's where the, the more tailored advice comes in, but there, um, I am building up a, a, a database of recipes on my blog. I've just, like, I'm still, haven't fully released it yet, uh, but I, I will be posting recipes there and there are a lot of great blogs out there or a lot of great food blogs that have very simple, easy, quick meal prep kind of recipes that I'm happy to send to you and you can link. Fantastic. Oh, that sounds awesome. Well, I love your vision and I love that you're putting so much energy towards uh, the disability community in terms of nutrition. Um, thank you for, thank you for all you do. And thanks for putting in the hard yards to study and get the science and actually figure out what is uh, what is good nutrition and mm -hmm. um, yeah there's clearly a lot more to it than than many people realize um, mm -hmm. and yeah thanks for trying to make it more accessible for those that um, that can't can't really access it uh, it's fantastic oh, my, yeah my pleasure and if you want more tips you can follow my instagram accessible wellness fantastic yeah i'll definitely link to that in your in the podcast description so yeah, be sure to uh, connect with Jackie. I see she's got a bunch of Instagram stories with some uh, nutrition chips, uh, uh, tips and recipes. Um, yeah, so, so follow along, check her out. Um, DM you, I'm sure she wouldn't mind a DM from, from you if you've got some specific questions. Yeah, um, I love the DMs. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, Jackie, well, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. I appreciate it. Um, and I'm sure our listeners will, um, will uh, also have appreciated uh, your expertise. Mm -hmm. my pleasure had a great time thanks so much I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier to learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users go to adaptdefy.com that's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y dot com we're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind-the-scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.